This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. All right, so welcome for the podcast. And today we have a visitor, a guest, uh, Mattia Crotti from Liverpool John Moores University. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, so so what do you do in, in John Moores? Okay, so I do a PhD. My PhD is about uh, physical activity in childhood mainly. So, but also about education and how education might affect uh, physical activity levels and behaviors in children and more uh, another thing that is quite uh, central in my my PhD is also um, calibration of devices to assess physical activity so these are the main things all right so what what devices you use to assess the physical activity okay so we use uh, accelerometers in particular uh, the actigraph, uh, the wrist uh, ones, even if my calibration uh, study uses, in my calibration I'm using uh, the actigraph both on wrist and hip because yeah. we want to see uh, what is uh, better at, get, uh, at recording physical activity levels, what is more accurate and uh, and yeah, we also want to answer other questions about uh, these devices and their properties. So, so you want to find uh, calibration for children for physical activity? Did I understand right? Yeah. So basically, uh, what 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 is done? Uh, what we do with these devices is to um, to validate cut points. So what it means. It means that we develop thresholds, uh, so specific values, specific acceleration that we use to categorize the physical activity mm-hmm. of the children uh, based uh, on the acceleration that the devices uh, that they were record mm-hmm. yeah. while they are yeah, yeah doing physical activity or anything else. Yeah, and you want to categorize light, moderate, and vigorous activity. Yeah. So we have uh, sedentary also sedentary. Yeah light, moderate, vigorous physical activity. So this is what cut points uh, categorize. Mm. And how much this have been done before with children? Uh, so um, there's, a, there's different studies about uh, uh, using cut points. But previous studies though used uh, counts. Mm. Um, so this is different from what I'm doing now. So no studies have uh, produces. I use raw accelerations rather than counts. So why we are moving to raw acceleration? It is because uh, using counts, uh, it is difficult to compare the results from different devices. Mm. Uh, while uh, because uh, each brand of uh, device as different algorithm to produce these counts. Mm. So um, so in research we need 
to sort of find find a way to have uh, for all the devices to get uh, the same um, uh, results, like not the same results, but like to to be um, all um, assessing physical activity and sedentary behaviors mm. in the same way, mm. so yeah. that we can compare the results from different devices. That's why we're using cut, uh, raw acceleration because there's no algorithm that might lead to different assessment of physical activity. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm developing raw acceleration cut points in actigraph devices for children. Yeah. So so basically, you the children have an accelerometer on the wrist and it's recording the three dimensional acceleration of the wrist and then you get the raw data with, with quite a high frequency and you have a lot of data what do you do next just a simple way okay what we do next is uh, from the uh, from the three-dimensional acceleration we get uh, um, uh, the sum of the three dimensions so we get one vector mm. Uh, and we, um, our devices get uh, the acceleration uh, 100 times per second, so we average uh, that mm. uh, those recordings for every second, so we have one acceleration per second. Mm. Uh, and uh, and yeah, we pay, we use our cut points to categorize each second. And, mm. to, and to establish if uh, children in that second they were sedentary, they were doing like physical activity, moderate or vigorous. Mm. And you think that one second is good because like like this, uh, this kind of breaks in the movement. And you think this is good good selection for children? So basically, uh, in the past, uh, um, researcher researchers used the uh, sixty seconds. Uh, for different reasons, because also because um, all devices uh, didn't have much memory, mm, so yeah. storing like one second uh, leads to a lot of data. So that was a problem. But uh, basically, it has been showed uh, that using one minute or like thirty seconds accelerations leads to uh, and. Um, misclassifying a lot of mm -hmm. vigorous physical activity because children tend to move uh, to be really active for a few seconds and then to stop then to start again so mm -hmm. their physical activity uh, varies so much that in a minute they might be uh, sedentary for a few seconds they can have vigorous physical activity the moderate and in if you average those acceleration in one minute you might uh, you might say that the, the child was doing light physical activity All right. in yeah. that minute yeah. while he was doing vigorous physical activity uh, for a few seconds and some moderate, some light. So it's more precise and it was, and uh, there's, um, there's research about the fact that children tend to have bouts of vigorous physical activity for like on average, like three seconds. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they change really quickly. Yeah, that's easy to observe when you see kids. Exactly, kids we don't outside. need research to know that, do we? Yeah, yeah. So, so that's that makes sense. Uh, so, how do you do the calibration or the validation? How do you figure out what is the correct 
cut point. Uh, we use uh, uh, we use a, a method, a statistical method, which called which is called the rock curve analysis, which is a, which is a diagnostic um, um, a method of diagnostic analysis. Mm -hmm. So basically, um, uh, we use uh, the data from uh, physical activity uh, that we observed um, in children. We categorize them as, uh, uh, we categorize the activity level of, um, of the children doing these kind of activities. And thanks to the rock curve analysis, we can establish which, which um, value, which threshold better distinguish um, a certain physical activity level, for example, um, light physical activity hmm. from moderate physical activity. So, so we search, thanks to the rock curve analysis, we find that um, that, that the number that the better divides a distribution of data which are related to light physical activity and a distribution. Mm, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm not an expert with that analysis. So are, are the kids doing like free living or you guide them to do certain activities for certain time? Or how, how does that work? Oh, in my study, we have both free living, free living physical activity yeah. and, uh, and physical activity um, while doing uh, activities that uh, that physical uh, activities that we designed so we designed mm. uh, we choose 10 yeah. activities uh, comprising sedentary light moderate and vigorous activities that all the children in the study did yeah um, and uh, and also we video recorded children while doing playtime yeah so this is one of the strength of, of the study because the children did those activities which are we selected activities are usually like normal in in life of a child like uh, running, walking, uh, sitting down and coloring mm -hmm. or uh, playing with a tablet, uh, which is now yeah. really common. So, so do I understand correctly that you first observe children doing their life as they do, and then you chose some of the activities from different categories and then you put them to do in the laboratory and then you can you can validate from from that data so we we didn't have them in the lab uh, lab all right so we did uh, the activities in the in a physical education hall of their school so right. this increases the validity of our data because children are in an environment which is uh, familiar to them mm. so um, and they do things that they usually do at school. Yeah. Uh, so also the physical activity, so the play. We are not. We didn't ask them to to play in a, in a in a lab. They were in their school playing mm. with their friends. Yeah. So yeah. All right. And and what kind of activities? Like you observe the kids, and then you selected some activities that are, for example, moderate intensity. Exactly. What, what were the can you give us some yeah, examples? Yeah. So we selected 10 activities for the, um, for, so the, the activity that we prescribed and that we did uh, in the school physical education hall was, were 10. So mm. four um, uh, were, so we had sedentary ones comprising yeah. uh, lying down and watching TV. Mm. 
uh, coloring, so sitting down and coloring, uh, then uh, playing with the tablet yeah. while sitting down and playing with the Lego. All right, yeah. Then uh, they had a, a, phys a, a stationary, um, uh, l l it is not really, it is categorized light, as light physical activity, All but right. it's more a stationary activity, which mm -hmm. is standing. Yeah. And uh, to, uh, so they have them just standing. Uh, then we had them uh, uh, walking and throwing and catching a ball. So mm. this is a moderate yeah. uh, physical activity. And for vigorous physical activity, they did hopscotch, so hopping, yeah. running, and uh, running uh, um, on a obstacle course, like to make like change of direction that they would have mm. when they play tag together, for example, or other games yeah yeah so so when you did the standing did they did you force them to stand on the place or did you what guidelines you gave i, the, I know it's, it's different no, difficult to control the children so how did you so basically it? in order to keep them there because uh it might be a bit boring for them you know just stand mm. uh we we they were watching a video while standing mm. uh and that is an interesting part of our study, which uh, we are actually uh, taking care of because children, when they stand, they might be l less um, active than when sitting down. And All right, that's interesting. So, so they're, they were moving less, their hands were moving less when they are standing. Exactly. But they are consuming more energy standing than sitting. Okay, let's get back to that in a moment and hear a few words from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Fibium, a research device that has been shown to be valid in tracking sitting, standing, physical activity and energy expenditure. Furthermore, Fibion has been shown to be valid categorizing physical activity into light, moderate and vigorous intensity. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com slash research. And, and you measuring it from the hip and from the wrist. Yes. Yeah. yeah. How, how, how do you see that? Will you actually get the activity, for example, during the throwing of the ball? Ball throwing that actually the arm is moving quite a bit. Probably the hip is moving some exactly. amount. That is also another important uh, point because um, different accelerometers um, wearing position would, will lead uh, to misclassification potentially of different activities. So it's important mm. to see how uh, these affects the accuracy of the data in uh, assessing physical activity. That's why uh, we, uh, we had also throwing and catching because it's something that we observed in the schools and the children do mm -hmm. uh, when they play. Um, and so we we will in our study we will also we will also see how it compared to uh, the wrist monitors would um, assess physical activity while doing this kind of uh, uh, activity. Yeah, yeah. Using arms, yeah. probably the wrist ones probably are better to to get the physical activity of the upper body yeah well, yeah yeah and it's it's probably quite interesting 
the compliance is usually not easy even with adults and then with children like which which Acticraft did you use? Does it have a uh, It is called G GT9X. All right, so, so it, it actually does, has like a, a watch. It looks yeah. like a watch. Yeah. I think that one that really helps compliance because children are apt to have uh, this special watch on their arm. Mm. Uh, and um, so generally children were really happy about having this device. Um, of course, uh, like uh, so it is it is well proven that compliance is a big problem mm -hmm. in physical activity assessment using yeah. um, these devices. And it seems like it's pretty clear now that if devices are uh, have worse compliance yeah because yeah. Um, because people just forget to put it on and, and uh, when after they take it off because you ten you you take off uh, an hip device when you go to bed you have mm -hmm. to take it off yeah, yeah. while you can keep a watch on your wrist that is yeah. fine so yeah. you can also assess sleep quality with wrist devices there's, yeah there is another uh, another important aspect what else? Um, there's a uh, so the hip ones uh, have also um, uh, so apart from taking them off, uh, there's also another aspect that is that is important about wrist as uh, then hip devices, which I uh, yeah yeah that's all right. So so how long was your free living with the with the kids? How long was the measurement when you did? So uh, we gave them 10 minutes. So yeah. on average, they did seven minutes though. It's, it's activity, you mean? Uh, I know for each activity. Uh, no, no. So in the protocol, each activity yeah. had different. Um, we had like lying down for 10 minutes, mm. watching TV, five minutes um, while, um, uh, while doing the other sedentary physical mm. activities. And for the moderate and vigorous, uh, we chose two minutes yeah because uh, that would uh, so after a certain amount of time like factors like um, um, getting tired mm. would might uh, impair like the movement yeah, of the children might, might would be would tired, the activity yeah. exactly they might get tired and the activity wouldn't be representative of an actual moderate or vigorous physical activity. yeah yeah that makes makes total sense so those you have couple of minutes up to 10 minutes and then you follow them for for one week or how, how long did you follow them in in their normal daily life so um, for the calibration uh, we we don't follow them we don't right. follow them yeah. for for entire week there is only the activities that we got from right. the protocol and from the observation during yeah. the because that isn't that is enough data for for the calibration mm. and that's yeah. one one study of your exactly PhD. all right but yeah. for my phd we, we will use those cut points to categorize habitual physical activity so mm. um, children we wear the device for uh, seven days seven full yeah. days yeah so an entire week and uh, what research suggests so what other researchers suggested is that children to get habitual physical activity um, uh, we should like we should have at least three full days or uh, three full days and one weekend day mm. to state that we have enough data to establish what is the normal physical activity of a child. Yeah. Uh, and normally 
if um, if we are talking about phys like physical activity level and sedentary behaviors within a day, uh, 10 hours are, are regarded as enough, 10 hours mm. of, of the day yeah. as enough yeah. to establish the sedentary and physical activity levels of the child within the day. Yeah. So how, how was the, you, you had the both hip and wrist during these habitual physical activity measurements? Uh, no, we just used wrist All right, because yeah. of uh, compliance. Yeah. Um, be because we need compliance that is really important for us. Mm. And because also um, evidence is showing that uh, the wrist uh, um, has, has a good, uh, an accurate assessment of physical activity mm. levels. Yeah, yeah. So, so how well did you get many devices destroyed, lost? How, how was it with the? How old are the participants? They are five, six years old. Five, six. Yeah. So broken, we got, uh, we got one broken. All right. Which is not bad. Not bad. They're they're difficult, but we got a bit more lost, uh, and that, um, that is because of different reason. Uh, we are still figuring out why we got uh, now probably over so we got the devices out almost a thousand of times hmm. and and we got 15 like now 15 I don't remember the exact number almost 20 that didn't came back unfortunately so you lost 20 out of thousand measurement yeah even Times. more probably all right so that's because uh, there's a um, monitoring because in our study there is a pre uh, area monitoring in case something happened like the children didn't wear it uh, or something happened sometimes we had to remonitor mm. then there's the post assessment and then there's retention sense assessment that we're doing now so yeah we added out all right okay let's get back so to that in a moment and hear a few words from our sponsors two percent of lost rate of devices if you have thousand mm. measurement times and yeah, i think twenty. we will we will uh, talk about how we think or oh, there's there's also other authors that did it but we talk about how we think uh, that could be avoided like uh, how how we can reduce the um, this amount of um, loss yeah accelerometers yeah. uh, maybe you can share here i think it yeah be interesting for the listeners yeah, they yeah. Are expensive so no, not yeah, to lose them. so yeah. one could be uh, uh having a system in place uh, which uh like um uh, like for example, giving stickers to the children if they wear it. Mm. So you're prizing them for wearing it, not for being physically active, mm. which yeah. would be potential bias. Yeah. Um, and uh, so uh, that is that potentially would uh, could help. Yeah. And, and uh, another aspect would be to have uh, um, a document for the for the parents. Um, explaining why it is important for them to wear it or um, a specific uh, ideas about when to wear it and what not to wear it. Mm. 
so information and a good communication with the teacher in the school that yeah. is really important uh, and something else that is key is probably uh, in case um, we have uh, in case you have children that not that are not that, that don't want uh, to wear it mm. um, always like it's w what we did was not not never force children to wear it so mm. being always asking to the children if they if they want to mm. wear it and, and being sure that they know that mm. they're not obliged all right yeah to um, to wear it and that if they don't want to they can always give it back yeah uh, to the to the school or to the, their parents and uh, and that also I think could help yeah all right those, those are really important tips and and how did you do the logistics it's not easy to get a lot of devices to research participants so did you gave them to teacher who gave it for the students or how did it how did it work in practice in practice uh, I would suggest uh, for so the idea would be to go uh, like for two people to go in the school and um, and uh, provide the devices devices directly to the children mm. in groups of maximum three four because and why maximum three four because uh, not just one per time because that would be really time consuming mm. why not five or six because uh, we having a lot of children uh, we uh, for our experience having a lot of children there led to um, disruption and noise and they were a bit mm. messing around well when there are only three there's a time for everybody to ask questions and to have their opinion or uh, having a chat with us uh, and if they're curious about something about the device or so it's easier to manage mm. uh, three right. yeah. together and uh, and it's good to have a second person uh, to make all the process faster so preparing the strap writing um, the number of the device for the child mm. on uh, on the paper making sure that it goes on on the wrist that, uh, that and write down which wrist uh, they were in on which wrist they were wearing yeah, wearing the yeah. device so um, my opinion two chi two researchers three three four children outside the, of the class yeah. four children is good number not to disrupt the lesson mm, rather yeah, than having yeah. an explanation in inside the class of the so lesson. So it would be the the lesson would be going. You would yeah. take three three just, four kids just outside the, the class and then, uh, then the next ones. All right. Yeah. And uh, that is that is I think the best way after doing it like quite a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, and also making making it like a quiz. Asking the children, oh, do you remember? So, do you remember when we can wear the device and when we can't wear the device? Oh, yeah, and they are, and they re get really, they found like uh, answering this question, like they sort of find the answer. Like uh, mm. I ask question, where, when do you think we can wear this device? Rather than telling them, just uh, we 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 chat about it together, and I noticed that. Uh, they found it more fun they're more engaged and they're more curious about it and they think about it so next time they remember mm. and they will be first telling you oh, i remember when i can wear it and when i can't and normally so they they shouldn't wear it when they 
when they swim or when they have a bath. So when they are deep in the water, mm, yeah. the device can stay in in the water uh, below one meter mm. for more than one hour or half an hour. No, All right. right. Yeah. 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 No, no, this is very important because, you know, when you have a research paper, there's limited space. So you can't say these things. Yeah. So you don't learn these actually really crucial things. And, and now most of the people are just learning by doing and it takes a lot of time when you actually exactly. finish your project, you, you have learned how you should have done it. So I think this is a great avenue for getting this kind of tips, how to how to actually do that. And the quiz thing for the kids, it, it sounds really interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. So if you make it a game, and, and it's always better for both, for everybody. It's more fun for yeah. the children. It's less boring for yeah. everybody. It's, it's good time for them. Yeah. And it, it sounds like you have done 1,000 measurement times. So how many participants do you have in total? Uh, in total, 360. 260. No, 360. 360. And, and you have... And this is only one part of just your, one study because then study. there has been the calibration yeah. study. Uh, so if you put all of them together, you probably get to more than four hundred. So that's why I said that I use them the devices more than thousand of times. Yeah. So this all should be done during your PhD time. How busy have you been? <laughs> um, I've been busy, uh, but fortunately. Uh, I would add those people around remembering me that there's not just work. <laughs> yeah, all right, that's that's good. So so you have managed like thousand measurements with ActiCraft. It takes time to charge them. It takes time to initialize them. Yeah. Then you need to arrange the distribution of the devices, giving the guidelines to children, then getting them back, downloading the data, exactly. taking backups. How? How long does this take before you get actually to analyze the data like from the from the beginning? So to actually um, actually the time to to charge the devices is like around uh, one hour, one hour and and half. Hmm. Uh, the problem is the docking station to charge the devices are like have like six um, spaces, slots, so yeah. six slots. Yeah. So the time that you will take to charge the devices depends on how many devices you have yeah. and how many charging station you have. Yeah. If you have if you have only a few participants, like you will be fine in uh, in like from from no from zero battery to one hundred percent in like just one hour one hour mm -hmm. and a half. So it, the problem is that I had a lot of accelerometers, like more than one hundred per time. Mm -hmm. uh, fortunately, I had a good amount of uh, docking station, and also make um, initializing the device is really fast uh, mm. uh, again um, it is normally uh, normally you six or twelve per time gets in, gets initialized I wouldn't suggest uh, personally I would suggest do six per time because if you uh, plug 12 devices to the um, uh, to the computer sometimes mm. it happens then one doesn't get um, initialized. Uh, it doesn't get uh, connection. Connection. Yeah, yeah. So you 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 don't know which one doesn't get connection. So you have to take uh, every every all the devices off the six uh, mm -hmm. slot docking yeah, station yeah. and put them back again. So right. I would rather uh, plug one device per time. Double check that the computer got it. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So being a bit patient about plugging them. Yeah. And uh, then it takes a second to, it takes literally like three seconds to initialize the devices. Yeah, I think and I have I have met the same problem because you don't see the ID number when they are put in the charts. Exactly. Results, so that's why you, you need to. I think it would be important to see an ID number from the outside, like uh, hmm. even when they are plugged. To see. Of course, you, you see the number on the computer yeah. of the device, but you don't see it on the device yeah. when they're plugged. And so it, it doesn't show which slot is it in. Exactly. So it could either be that you know which slot is it in, or the ID would be in exactly. different place. So that would be good, f like for the uh, people designing the devices to know, like mm. to uh, to make this detail like a bit more clear. It would save it actually saves time. It yeah. would have saved me some like some hours actually yeah yeah it's it's small things that cause the cause the headache in a way the thing though that takes more time is uh, um, is organizing your devices then when uh, um, so writing down so writing down which devices you're using making sure that everything is in order that mm -hmm. nothing gets lost uh, who got what device and uh, reporting those data and tidying those data on uh, on folders so it takes more time mm. to make sure that everything is tidy than the actual actual charging mm. and initialization okay let's get back to that in a moment and hear a few words from our sponsors this podcast is sponsored by Fibian, a research device that has been shown to be valid in tracking sitting, standing, physical activity and energy expenditure. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. The Physical Activity Researcher podcast has created an activity tracker purchase guide for researchers. Get your free copy from the link in the podcast description. And so you're recording seven days with 100 hertz? Uh, we are recording with 30 hertz. All right, in this 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 In this study. study. All right, yeah, so it's a little bit less data. Does it take a lot of time to download it? And, and how, how much do you end up with data with time? Ah, exactly. There also, uh, it, takes, uh, uh, it takes time uh, Basically, um, how much sort of to download it around uh, depends on the computer mm. uh, processor, but it's around between thirty seconds and uh, two minutes. Yeah, yeah. No, or between no, uh, no, maybe for one minute between one minute and three four minutes. Oh, right. I think yeah, about it. Yeah, especially if you are plugging twelve devices. At, 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 the port, at the same yeah. time yeah. Um, it is more then the data analysis will be the the most um, probably the longest part especially with rock serration there's mm -hmm. a good software now to do it in R which is yeah. called GGIR which I would suggest to use for rock serration because we need all to to use similar this, it would be great if all the researcher would use the same methods to analyze, mm, yeah. because again, if we use different methods, then there's discrepancies in the way we uh, manage data, so it, it gets again tricky. 
to compare results from different studies. Yeah, yeah. And I, I have noticed that you've been writing some code in, in R, so yeah. is it available for other researchers if they would need similar kind of thing? Uh, yeah, like for any researcher can um, can use uh, can use the GGR GGR package and uh, they have uh, all the their PDF explaining how to use the package um, proficiently. Mm. So most of my coding was about managing my data, especially for the calibration study because there's so much data and I need to filter and the data because I need to um, uh, to to tidy the data to eliminate the data that that are not related to a physical activity that I observed like mm. uh, the like the poses between an activity and another which I'm not using for yeah the, so took more time to the to do the tidying up and to merge um, the data um, so because once I categorized the acceleration from the devices on one wrist mm. I had just to to use those data uh, and with uh, and thanks to our coding I I did all the job for the the second wrist and the hip mm. in in few seconds yeah yeah that makes sense I remember when I was doing my PhD we were recording EMG for three days from four different muscle groups yeah and then I started to analyze the data and actually my computer was crashing it couldn't Oh, yeah. handle handle that then then I just wanted to take a look at the data and the Excel didn't have enough rows exactly. at that point so, so I think for practical reasons many times you think that all right then I just analyze this this and that yeah but just the amount of data might be so much that it takes really time to actually open the files get it done and, and you saying that R is a good solution R is, to, to R is really good. data it's fast it is fast like Excel when when you use Excel is amazing like mm. you can do incredible things with Excel like managing the data but um, I think with R there's a bit of more freedom there's more freedom how you manage the data you filter them you move them uh, you, there's a particularly like um, there's some packages like tidyverse which mm. I would really suggest to use yeah and um, so and it's a free package so any researcher can do it you don't mm. need uh, to to buy expensive softwares um, and there's a lot of information on the internet about how to use it and people answering questions on sites like uh, um, even ResearchGate or mm. in different yeah. so it's quite user-friendly uh, at the beginning you need a bit of time to understand how it works but then uh, then then it are it's really fast in in for man managing data sometimes I had uh, a million of rows yeah yeah in in, in my in R to yeah. to merge or to um, select or to filter yeah and I did it without any problems yeah yeah and we already covered some practical tips. What do you have learned on the, on the way, like the learning curve, doing your studies? Do you have any other things that you would like to share that you have learned, just simple or more complex practical things that have helped you to either collect the data or, or store it or analyze it? Mm. 
about uh, do, 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 do. we already uh, exposed a lot of of the tips that I that I would give. The, so there was the thing about schools about being uh, uh, the certain numbers and explanations. Mm. Yeah, is there anything like the wearing of the device? Do you need to do any special things? Do the devices get scratched? Do you okay, I think somehow or? for children, yeah, the straps that you will get from uh, Actigraph, yeah, and also for Genie Active, I think, yeah, are are not big enough. So what we did was to make extra holes. Mm. On the strap, so the strap are silicone straps. Yeah, and making extra holes, you we can uh, you can adapt it for, but uh, to adapt it to the wrist of a child. Wrist. But yeah, but children have, uh, at that age, so five, six, also seven years old, uh, might have a, a wrist that is so small that any strap that you buy from um, from different brands are mm. too big. So there's a thing that needs to be considered. Yeah, so another, there could be a message for the manufacturers that another thing have children specific. Yeah. Another thing, the hoops, uh, like the on the strap that keep yeah. the the strap uh, um, in, Attached, yeah, yeah, uh, break or oh. get lost. Yeah. So it would be good to have uh, already some spare ones to uh, to substitute the one that got lost. Mm. It's really important that would help against compli uh, compliance because it might be annoying to have a, a part of the strap moving, moving on the around. wrist yeah. uh, while the hoop keep yeah. it there. They're, they're, they're quite cheap uh, to buy and uh, they could uh, help you have more compliance. So I think it's definitely worth yeah. it. So before the project, already order them and have, already have, have a lot some, of spare ones to Some use. spare ones, yeah. Yeah, all right, that's interesting. And then maybe a little bit easier things like what has been the funniest things during your PhD? Like any, any good stories from your colleagues or from the children? What has, oh, what has happened like? Like uh, working with children is always amazing and uh, they, ca they come out uh, with... Uh, with they're, they're just to, there's so much human interaction. It's so great to hear their stories which most of the times are not really related with <laughs> what is going on. <laughs> and I think it's definitely really important to uh, to embrace it, like to listen to them and uh, to have a good time uh, with them and uh, appreciate that interaction that they want to to have with you. And sometimes like, um, uh, yeah, and also it, it has been also funny to to learn from them some expressions like uh, uh, in a school in a school they were saying all the time when I was saying easy they were saying easy peasy lemon squeezy <laughs> and it was so funny they were saying it all every time I heard it like thousand of times in that school uh, in, in different schools not just one it's just one in particular it was all a right. thing in that school all right or um, or uh, la uh, Liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> All uh, right, and yeah, and their stories about them or there's. I think another thing why it's important to listen them for uh, to listen to them and to participants' experience mm -hmm. um, is that you could have some insights about what happened 
when they have the devices. Like sometimes mm -hmm. they were exl explaining me what they do and where they put the device when they have a bath or when they mm -hmm. have a, a shower. So, or they explain me what was going on and or if it was hurting them or if. Um, so, if you create that, if um, if you give them so that space for chat, they might say things mm. and might be comf comfortable at saying what was not good about the device, mm. which sometimes uh, is difficult to get because if you ask certain questions like what you didn't like, that might answer what you want to hear rather mm. than what they really think. Yeah, yeah. And you said about pain wearing it. Did you have any skin reaction with some people no, wearing it? Yeah. Never. Never skin reactions because the uh, the silicone ones are, uh, are are pretty comfortable and uh, it's quite rare to have. Uh, yeah. And do you leave it a little bit loose that um, actually air gets under it or? Basically, uh, it it has to be tight because we need the device to be uh, in Detecting position. Detecting the accelerations. But uh, so and we also want consistency, so everybody to have. Uh, to have the device on the wrist, uh, in a like at the end of basically just on the wrist and not mm. on the forearm. Like yeah, yeah, out, out. yeah. Um, so we want it tight, but it has to be comfortable for the child. That is the mm. most important thing. Yeah. So yeah. I always ask, uh, is there is there okay? Do you want it tight or less uh, tighter or, or or less tight? And secondly, also is, I think is more it's really important to tell them that if, if if they think that it's itchy or that it is painful mm. or they they have any problem it is fine to tell like straight away, straight away to an adult and and see or make it looser make, make it tighter or whatever mm. because it happens it might happen that they um, they wait so long before telling an adult that it's painful mm. that then there could be a problem for in, in uh, I don't know if it, it, it actually happened no I think it happened that children uh, stopped wearing it because they thought it was um, annoying yeah so I wonder if these children um, asked to an adult yeah. like uh, yeah. how can I make it uh, like it's painful or, or itchy what should I mm. do yeah yeah and in, in your study did they wear it also during the night um, in theory that's what I I wanted them to wear it all the time because mm. that yeah. helps compliance yeah but they not all of them did yeah yeah my study pro it would be interesting also to analyze the sleep data later mm. on yeah. but the phd is about physical activity and sedentary behaviors rather than yeah. sleep time yeah that would yeah. be another another thing maybe to do later um and today we have the data so mm. probably in the future we'll analyze it which is really interesting also that aspect yeah. um so i would suggest to tell the participant to keep it to keep them on all the time if it, if there is not hurting their wrist because mm. that really helps compliance 
Yeah. And any, how do you think, because all the participants didn't wear, do you think it was because of your guidelines or because it was not comfortable? Do you have any guess? I think the main this? reason why they didn't, why children took it off was the parents. Hmm. So if the parents feel like, uh, if the parents decide that they shouldn't wear it hmm. uh, during the night because they believe they would be hurting hmm. their child, yeah, uh, they took it off and they they're perfectly free to do that. Yeah, uh, I think it is worth to make an explanation about it on the document for the parents that the device uh, has been used before in this age group, mm. also during sleep time. Mm. Uh, there's there's no not particular problem with that if the strap is not uh, too really tight. Yeah, and so. And but also clarify that they're free to do what what they think is better for their child because mm -hmm. they are the parents and 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 they have to err down ultimately they decide what is best for their child. Yeah, yeah. And how how did you give the information to parents? Did you have a letter for them or I, did you meet them or given that uh, we are in a in a deprived uh, but there is, we work with schools from this arrived area. We were sending, uh, we were giving out uh, documents, so document for the parent rather than mm. emails or um, um, or, or message messages. Also, yeah. it's difficult to also to send messages to the parents. You would also need an ethical approval just for that. Mm. So but, but you gave the child a letter to be given to the, the parents. The letter was it's better to give the the letter to the teacher. All right. And to ask the teacher to um, what is the best strategy for the teacher. What the teacher thinks is the best strategy to give um, the the document to the um, to the parent. Mm -hmm. So it's always yeah. I think it's always important to get that um, sort of conversation with the people participating in the project especially mm. in particular at the ed teacher and the teacher in the schools mm. it's fundamental to have them believing in the importance of the project they are the most important people uh, for the project to be done successfully of course mm. the, yeah everybody is really important in the project uh, like the children are central have a central role but if the ed teacher is not completely believing in the importance of the project, mm. that will have a negative effect on. Yeah, yeah. So there and this is true not just in the in schools. I've seen some of my colleagues. This is also true in interventions or studies within workplaces. Mm. So if if the head, if the higher uh, layer, layers in in the in the organization, yeah. Believe in the importance of your project. Uh, that will uh, that will that will definitely be more likely to go smoothly. Mm. That what that's what we've seen also in our yeah experience. yeah. And it's so quite often quite difficult to find the practical ways to get the information on time to people. So you need to be ahead yeah. of time giving the information to the teachers the letters and yeah. so on so yeah. we did also um what we also tried to do was um we also proposed the 
a session with the parents if they wanted to know more about uh, what is going on. There has been a session before the project uh, where we talked with, uh, with, with all the ed teacher about it in a group, so presentation, just even before uh, the recruitment with potential um, potential participants, uh, mm. so school participating. Yeah. Then there has been a chat with them at the school, with them and also the primary school teachers, because not just the head that has been uh, believing in the project is really important. Also, the teacher doesn't see it as an extra work, mm. but something, not an extra work, but something valuable that add important things mm. to our society or to their school. Yeah. Or maybe to find also, to find something that could be the take home uh, thing for, for the school. Like, um, it's difficult, for example, for a controlled school to see why putting all those efforts in, in the in, in the project when they don't get an intervention mm -hmm. of any type. Yeah. So it would be good to put in place also um, something for them. Uh, like, for example, offering a uh, lesson to the teachers about what was what has been uh, like different pedagogical approaches, for example, mm -hmm. or um, possi possibility of support in uh, in physical education or other things. Mm. Uh, so finding so discussing in incentives for them to actually take part. Exactly, because they're doing a huge work like mm. primary school teachers and ed teachers have so much and they already have so much testing from the government so they mm. have um, specific days in the year where they get assessed assessed mm. yeah so they have already so much pressure if they feel it as an extra pressure mm. yeah that would that won't help it would be good to have uh, this relation where you try to uh, to take most of the work from from them and they, they just have to uh, to have those days where you get there mm. and you collect the data yeah so this this has all been very interesting and we have actually already talked over 50 minutes and i can see outside that the <laughs> sun has come out and we were planning to actually have a run exactly. so so this has been very good like uh and if there's people who would like to researchers who would like to collaborate with you or ask some questions, how can they, they reach you? Uh, at the moment, it's really easy to find me um, even just um, uh, writing down on Google Matteo Crotti Liverpool John Moores because there's a, mm. my um, uh, personal like um, what is it called uh, profile. Profile. profile profile yeah, yeah. Um, in there if not they could uh, um, I need to update my research gate page so there is not so probably the, the easiest now is to contact me uh, via yeah alright and the name is M-A-T-T-E-O and the last name C-R-O-T-T-I yeah. so Matteo Crotti Liverpool University so, so that's how they can contact you and uh, when do you plan to finish your PhD 2000, September 2020 2020 so if there's any institutes after <laughs> that looking for a for a very good and diligent postdoctoral researchers here is the tip so maybe send an email to Matteo 
So brilliant. This was this was really interesting talk. I think there was a lot of practical tips which will help our listeners to actually do their studies better, get the better compliance and, and, and handle the data. So thank you again for and visiting. Thanks to you for, for your questions and for your time, for the nice chat. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com slash research. The Physical Activity Researcher podcast has created an activity tracker purchase guide for researchers. Get your free copy from the link in the podcast description. Thank you for listening to the Physical Activity Researcher podcast.